Start spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York I want to wake up in a city that doesn't sleep Start spreading the news Dan Tracy is back I want to be a part of it. ASN podcast. Dan Tracy in the house. What's going on, buddy? That was better than I thought. Did you really? Really? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you tried to downplay it, uh, and I, I think your voice actually impressed me a little bit. Maybe, maybe it worked then. Maybe you, you kind of downplaying it worked. Oh, I've been trying to do that my entire life in certain aspects, and it hasn't worked. So, well, I guess I'm glad it worked here. So. I think it was a net positive. It was better, right. better comes in a better than expected. Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of the ASM podcast is not sponsored by BioSteel, but if you have not had one of these before, I think this is the reason for my my energy surge right now. But Dan, have you ever had one of these things? I have not. Oh man, I, you know what? I'll send you one. It'll probably be piss warm by the time it gets to you, but <laughs> I'll send you one. They're really, really good, and I, I swear. They have nothing in them, which means that obviously they have chemicals in them that are going to kill me eventually. Eventually, you know, funny story. I I I love drinking water, but sometimes I'm I, I you know I want a little bit of a flavor, and I was drinking a lot of Crystal Light, like a shit ton of Crystal Light, like like more than the average human being. Like I was going through at least a half a pack of Crystal Light a day, because I found this one flavor that was really really good, and. And I, I like read an article. It was like, yeah, don't drink that much Crystal Light in your lifetime because it's not great for you. And I'm like, well, I'm going to die 20 years early. I was like, there's no other way. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say, besides for my unhealthy Crystal Light obsession, is uh, this is coming a day later than normal because a couple things. Well, first off, we wanted to make sure that the Yankees even got past game four against the Guardians. Especially with the craziness that's been going on, but BioSteel activated. If you mention them again, they're gonna have to start paying us. Uh, I I will continue to mention them. I'll even reach out to them because who knows uh, what happens. But not only that, I am a little hyped because I don't know if you could see. I also don't know if you know who Chris Bumstead is, Dan. But um, one of my coworkers told me I look like Chris Bumstead, and if you don't know who that is, he's a two, three-time classic physique. Uh, Mr. Olympia. So, so I should assume that's a good thing. It is a good thing. I body body wise, I look nothing like him. But I mean, you know, hair and maybe face. I'll take whatever I can get. But yeah, besides for the bio steel, besides for Chris Bumstead, besides for my like six out of ten singing, uh, being generous to myself, I, I would like to say you know we keep mentioning it, Dan, but. New York sports is back, and I, I I don't think that people understand. I mean, we just talked about this right before. We're not even going to mention the Jets and the Giants yet. 
Um, you know, the Rangers are kicking ass as well. The Knicks, who are going to be very disappointing this year, are starting as well tomorrow. Well, at, least they, at least they haven't disappointed us yet. And they haven't disappointed us at the time right of recording, but I'm sure that they will by next week or two weeks from now. Wednesday. And uh, even NYCFC just um, beat Inter-Miami in their playoff game today as well, They who are the defending MLS Cup champions as well. NYCFC, not Inter-Miami. But, you know, I just feel like everyone, every team is just is just clicking right now. And it makes me happy. But I don't want this to be a New York thing, even though the title is probably going to have something to do with New York yet again this week, because I'm just going to keep riding it, Dan. But before we get into all the, the hoopla and the, the shenanigans, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm uh, very, very good. I had a really, really good weekend. Uh, I don't like to do this, but at the time of recording, it is the night before my 26th birthday. So tomorrow when this goes up, it will be my 26th birthday. So, um, you know, now it's not fun anymore because now you're just counting, you know, another year closer to 30. And the next thing you know, I'll be counting another year close to 50. And then when we're up to episode... 1,000 of the ASN podcast, I'm going to be like 70 years old. What, so, now, why did you skip 40 there? Uh, you know, I why feel like 30 to 50. That's not no, you know why? Because I feel like 30 is a very big birthday. I feel like it goes like this. So it's like every birthday from one to 10 is big. 16 is big. 20, 18 is big. 21 is big. 25, 30, 50, 75, 100. That's how I feel like it goes. I think you have to throw in a 90 in there. If you can get to 90, that's, that's significant. That, yeah, but all right. Other than that, I think you, you might be right. Yeah, I mean, like, it's not fun anymore. Like, no no, no one goes out for someone's 26th birthday. <laughs> so, uh, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm getting old. I already have a quarter-life crisis. I'm definitely way past the co- first quarter of my life anyway. So, cheers, Bioflex, BioSteel. Well, I got it wrong. They're not going to sponsor us, Dan. <laughs> If you mention them one more time, I think legally they have to sponsor us. Yeah, well, I got it wrong, so I guess we'll. we'll I guess I'll have to say it two more times. Then. But, but happy birthday to you! Thank you, sir. I appreciate but this that. episode comes out on your birthday. Yes, oh, I like that. Yeah, like and uh, I actually didn't even realize it until before. I was like, oh, so ASN fifteen will be a birthday bash. But I don't even want to talk about my birthday. I want to talk first off. The first thing that we want to talk about is baseball and. Uh, I think it's safe to say, at least in my mind, the division series definitely did not go the way I thought it was going to go. I thought that there was going to be one upset in there. Uh, I I didn't think it was going to be the Phillies. I wanted it to be the Padres because I I despise the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I was very happy about that. But, uh, you know, we can't talk about all the championship series uh, matchups just yet because you know the Yankees are currently in a rain delay still right now, correct? Yeah, I think I just saw a tweet saying it's raining harder now. Um, I can confirm that because I just went outside <laughs> and it is it, in the New York area, it is raining quite, cra- so if, quite if, hard. If you're listening to this on a Tuesday and they haven't played yet, that that's that would be the reason why. Yeah, so your guess is as good as ours at, at this time. But they're, they're gonna listen to it and be like, when, when did when was this recorded? But I didn't do the voice. But yeah, so I mean, I guess the first matchup or the first division series matchup we should talk about is really the most surprising one. It's the 111 win Dodgers winning one playoff game. And uh, I got to be honest with you, Dan, I'm pretty happy about it. 
Yeah, I am uh, overjoyed. We'll, we'll, we'll use that word. Um, I think when, when me and you talked last week, we, we kind of just pushed that one aside and, and assumed that that was going to be the Dodgers. Um, I, I'm with you. So we, we talked, we said last week, there are four, um, four clear favorites in every series and four clear underdog. You don't always get that. Sometimes you get a, a two, three matchup and, and they look like they're pretty equal. Uh, this one, there were four clear underdogs and I think we assumed at least one would win. Um, mm-hmm. if I had to guess, I'd say the, the guardians had the best shot followed yeah, by the Phillies. And then the Dodgers and Astros were kind of in their own realm as clear mm-hmm. favorites. And the Astros right. made it very close. Very close. They they probably should have lost uh, game one, but but Scott Service decided to put in Robbie Ray, who gives up a lot of home runs to face the guy who who hits a lot of home runs. Um, but the Astros ended up sweeping him. Um, probably the closest sweep you'll ever see. They the last yeah. game of the eighteen innings. Um, but that you know the the actual outcome of that series not surprising. Uh, the Dodgers and Padres never saw that coming. And and you know this is someone last year who I I said no chance the Braves beat them in the seven-game series. Uh, and I learned my lesson. And then this year, I guess I forgot the lesson because I just I never thought that the Padres could pull that off. And then if you would have asked me after the Dodgers won game one, if the Padres could pull that off, I would have said never. But, you know, what we talked about last week or what, what I mentioned about home field advantage, all you have to do in the LDS is split the first two on the road if you're the road team. And then all of a sudden you have two games at home and you can close it out. That's exactly yeah. what the Padres did. Yeah, we we mentioned that. We actually see it's funny, like you said, we didn't even talk about it considering the Padres. We talked about it with the, the Mariners because we said yeah. what a crazy home field advantage that they'd have because there hasn't been postseason baseball there since what, two thousand one. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I really think the the driving force behind the Phillies beating the Atlanta Braves was the Philadelphia crowd and I also think on top of the Phillies being back in the playoffs I think well at the time I think the Philadelphia Eagles being 5 and 0 also had something to do with that that rabid fan base as well because obviously if you guys know Philly despite having terrible fans I mean up and down the board I mean they they're just I personally think they're the worst fans in sports in every single realm uh I, they are rabid though I will give it to them and they are they are they're they're homers they they love all their teams. I, I admire that for them, but they're terrible. But they are they are great fans when it comes to rooting for their team. And I really think that. I mean, when Reese Hoskins hit that home run, I knew the series was over already. I mean, there's no coming back from that. That spike, there's no coming back from that. If you're the Atlanta Braves, I think that was the best moment of the postseason so far. And all it was was a a home run that in what was it the third inning that made it four yeah. nothing. You know, it shouldn't be the top moment of the postseason, but that bat spike was incredible, and the fans were just as important. Um, you're completely right. It's the same dynamic as the Padres. They they split the first two on the road, and then they rode the momentum at home. And um, this is a little off topic, but I will say, I, I if, if you're a Philadelphia fan listening, I appreciate Philadelphia fans. I really don't have the dislike for them that you have. Here we go. Safe, Dan. Here we go. <laughs> I kind of like their passion. No, no, no. I, I think you missed my, my words are misconstrued. No, okay. I know you. I know you like their passion, but you know, I don't. Uh, of course, they're homers, but I don't know if they're homers more than any other major city fan base. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've always thought that they weren't bad, but maybe that's because they don't win championships that much, and they've been humbled a little bit. I know they got the one with the <laughs> Eagles, but 
Um, so you know, I, I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't really have a problem with them. Even at six and zero, I don't think that they're overdoing it. Maybe they, maybe they know that, you know, six and zero doesn't guarantee you anything. But I don't really think they're declaring themselves champions yet. So, but no, no, I don't think so either. I think they're just. I just think they're riding the momentum throughout the sports of like, you know, because listen, I'm riding the momentum of the Jets being good yeah. into the Yankees being to New York. being passable at, so far through four games, and that's a very very. I, I I'm on thin ice with that word there, passable, but yeah, I mean, I think this has been so far one of the more exciting postseasons, and I think it is because of the underdog stories. Even like like you said, like that was the closest sweep that you'll ever see, probably between the Seattle Mariners and the Houston Texans, the Houston Texans, the Houston Astros. <laughs> I told you, once I get in that football mode, there's there's no turning back. That's why but, we're starting now with baseball. You know, it was funny, and, and I'll tell you this now. Um, while I was watching the ninth inning of the Seattle game, the Seattle-Houston game in game one, I was legitimately texting, and I wish I had like a recording, like a screen recording. I was texting you that the series was over because if Seattle won game one and brought one win back to Seattle – they were going to win. I was in the process of about to send you that message when Jordan Alvarez hit the home run. I was about to send it to you. Yeah, well, that's how much that that home run turned that series. I mean, I saw some, I saw some stat that it, it added ninety-one percent win probability, which was the biggest, the most in the postseason wow. in in a long time. I forget, I forget how long it was. Maybe since 05 or oh six or something, um, because you know it, it took them from. I guess not. I guess it was nine percent then, with uh, you know two runner two runs down in the ninth inning. It took them from nine percent to a hundred percent. But yeah, even beyond that, uh, just the momentum. First of all, if you're Seattle, how do you recover from that kind of crushing blow where you feel like okay, we're the underdog, we need to get one on the road, and you have it, and then you blow it like that. I don't know how yeah. you recover mentally from that, and I'm not sure they really ever did because they ended up blowing it again the next day. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, of the fans, you know, going back to Seattle down 2-0 was a lot different than it being tied 1-1. If you're down 2-0, 2-0 to the Astros, even though we've seen teams come back from that before, you feel like you're done. And yeah. I give credit to the Mariners. They didn't play like they were done. They played for 18 innings. The pitching was ridiculously good. Uh, the hitting was, was terrible. But <laughs> I mean, if some people said, you know, oh, this is just great pitching. It's not bad hitting. Well, listen, if you don't get it, if you don't get a run for bad 18 hitting. innings... And it's not like they had they had really threats going on either for either team. There was yeah. there really wasn't much going on. Uh, it was bad hitting. You, but you gotta you, think too, you gotta you gotta think that that's deflating as well. Like not only for the Mariners but for the crowd. Like you know this is the first this is the first postseason game since two thousand one in Seattle, and it goes eighteen innings, and it's one nothing. It's not an eleven no ten eighteen inning game. Rather, it's I'd one nothing. Cheer. At least at least if you lose eight to seven, you have some moments that you remember cheering. Um, you know, they didn't, they didn't have much to cheer for except for strikeouts and uh, Julio Rodriguez's diving catch, but it was a good effort. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. obviously they, they want to try it again next year and go further. They got to, they're not going to, they can't just sit on this. Like I know some teams would that don't spend money. I think yeah. they're going to spend a little bit of money. They're well, they went out going. and spent a lot of money and made some pretty good acquisitions last year too. So right. I think they're fully, I think they're fully immersed in, in, in 
trying to be in every year postseason. They've got the pitching for it. Yeah. They've got the whole rotation locked up. If they could just get a couple hitters, uh, however you can do it, whether I know they tried, they traded for Jesse Winker in the offseason. He ended up being terrible, uh, but they got Suarez in that deal, and he ended mm-hmm. up being a big piece. You know, if you can just kind of fill those gaps like they did with Suarez, um, you know, all of a sudden they're one of the top teams in the American League. So nothing to, to feel shame about, but um, that Jordan Alvarez home run effectively ended their season in game one. Yeah, I, we, no we talked back. about it as soon as as soon as it happened. I, I we I said to you, I was like, yeah. that that's it. It's over now. And you can't come back from that. And you said it was crushing. And it proved to be accurate because, you know, they did fight hard, but they blew it again in game two. And then you don't score a single run in, in two games, really. 18 innings is I'm, – I'm doing math right. 18 innings is two, is two baseball games. So, you know, like you said, nothing to hang your head about. I personally think – even before this, I thought the Astros were the best team in baseball, despite their like record not being better than the Dodgers. I thought that they were, you know, hand, mouth, and foot over the uh, over the the LA Dodgers. So nothing to be ashamed about. Nothing to hang your hang your head about. You're a young team, bright future ahead. Um, kind of kind of disappointing though from the the angle of the Atlanta Braves. I was about to say the Atlanta Falcons. That's why I paused. I'm telling you, once you get in that, that football mode, I, I can't stop, but got to, got to feel like it's disappointing. The Braves had like a tale of like three seasons. I feel like it was like, well, how long are they going to ride this world series hangover? Then they were the hottest team in baseball. Then they crapped out in the playoffs. It felt like, like three different seasons in one. Yeah. And they were, I mean, they took last year's team. I know they lost Freddie Freeman, but they replaced him with Matt Olson. Not the same player, but good enough. And then they had Spencer Strider and Michael Harris play out of their mind. You know, they played yeah. like like all-stars. Kyle Wright, Both this 20 wins. Kyle Wright had this great year. Um, and the fact that they still couldn't get past the, the NLDS, I mean, it goes to show you how unpredictable the postseason is. Yeah. But still, I don't really think there's an excuse for that. I mean – um, the Yankees and Guardians were postponed for anybody who would like to know that. Oh, it's coming weren't. up right now. Well, of course, Dan with his sources knows before everyone else. <laughs> Just it's called Twitter. Um, oh, four oh seven tomorrow. We got a oh, we got yeah. a late afternoon game five. Hey, how about that? It wouldn't it be fitting if the Yankees lose on my birthday to just ruin my entire day? <laughs> yeah, to ruin your whole New York sports are back type of thing. We got yeah, yeah. It's going to sound so good as a soundbite when I just go off on how excited I am, and then the Yankees just just poop all over my my hopes and dreams. So that well, would be oh yeah. I, I see it now. I see it now. Yeah, you're right. That would be the second postponement of the series. Which yeah, already and, had a, an extra off day. Now I know where, that we were talking, we were talking about the Braves, but now I kind of have to shift the focus because it, it's relevant now to what we're talking about. But you got to think between the two postponements, the lack of off days, you, you know, ba- scraping past the Guardians up until this point throughout four games, just to even, just to even, even the series. It, you know, it, it's pretty demoralizing for the Yankees, and it can either go one of two ways for them. I feel like they could kind of take this and be like, you know, we've been given the shitty end of the stick so far and get fired up about it. Or they could just lay down and die like we've seen them do in years prior. Yeah, that would be a very Yankees thing right now to lay down and die. Um, Interesting dynamic of it is I believe uh, the Guardians could use Shane Bieber on 
Um, I'm still on short rest, but they weren't going to use him on two days rest today. Tomorrow you could use him on three days rest. And I think they asked Terry Francona about that, and he said that he would not be the starter. But you'd have to think, I mean, if your season's on the line, yeah. why not use him? Put uh, Garrett Cole back out there. Oh, Garrett Cole said he could pitch today, so he could pitch tomorrow. No, but but Nestor can pitch tomorrow. Because yeah, because then I guess that – yeah, but that only gives – then if the uh, ALCS starts the next day, yeah. you still can't pitch. You still can't pitch Garrett Cole, and I am not confident in starting Jamison Tyone in game one of the yeah, ALCS. We're, we're talking in, a, we're talking in a, a near emergency situation, and I don't mean Aaron Boone's version of emergency. I mean if it's a a tie game in the fifth or sixth inning and you, you could use him for a couple innings, I don't want to start him. Um, but, you know, you, could, you can use him, and the Guardians can use Shane Bieber the same way. If it comes to that, but I think the way that the Yankees should play this is, I think that Tyone should be the starter, and then he, on an extremely short leash, and then Domingo Harmon should be piggybacking right off of Jamison Tyone. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be what happens. Um, you have I to so think too. everybody's on the table except for Cole, probably. And honestly, yeah. If it's a close game and he's been your best pitcher up until this point and the bullpen has been shaky, use him in a Madison Bumgarner role. Have him close the game out. Yeah, I think – I mean, Bumgarner threw four innings on, on two days rest. So Garrett Cole I don't think it would happen. Garrett Cole's on a day's be, rest. It would be cool. So maybe he could do one or two if Bumgarner could do four. Um, we'll see. I mean, the guy was still throwing 99 miles per hour at 110 pitches. So I think it's – I think it's safe to say that if he can go out there and throw, hey, Cole, give me 15 pitches. Empty the tank for one inning. Yeah, that's he'll probably throw 112. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's going to be now with this game being as, you know, late, I guess. as and It's not really late, but it's late because now you have to figure there's no celebrations going into the ALCS. you got to hop on a plane and you got to go down to Houston, regardless of what team wins. you got to go down to Houston, so – I already think that despite the Houston Astros having the home field advantage over either the Yankees or the Guardians, now you have an even bigger advantage because now these teams are kind of discombobulated. It's like I, I think it would be tough to be focused where, you know, you, you win a game and then you're like, hey, you know, let's have a sip of champagne, throw the bottle up against the wall, and now we got to go to the airport and, and get on a plane and fly to Houston because right. you can't fly to Houston the next morning. You can't. Yeah, no, they'll be flying right after. That, you can't. That's the you have to. For yeah, the 407. Watch it turn into like a you know 15 inning marathon. Yeah, I mean then then you might as well just hand you might as well just hand the, the Astros the pennant at that point. If yeah, that, know, that we've, seen, we've seen teams' momentum derailed when you least expect it. So yeah, I'm hoping that I'm hoping whatever team wins moves on to the ALCS, and then Justin Verlander just craps in Game One, and I. I mean, there's no reason why that guy should still be as good as he is at age 39. It just boggles my mind. We, I don't even want to talk about it. But I just, you know, he's got a beautiful wife. He's handsome. He's a great pitcher. Something's got to give. Something has to give at some point. But regardless, that's just me. That's just, that's just some satire there. But uh, I, I feel like we were all we we're all over the place with this. It's just that so many of these series kind of sort of intertwine when it comes to momentum. You know, we haven't even talked about the Philadelphia Phillies, really. We just talked about their fans. But, I mean, I, I don't really think there's anything that you could say other than 
They they did really ride the crowd, but you know what? They pitched really, really well, and they did what the Philadelphia Phillies were built to do this season and hit home runs. Yeah, I mean, the, the big advantage with them was that you, in a, in a vacuum, you could have Zach Wheeler pitch twice and Aaron Nola once in a five-game series, but they didn't even need to do that. They, they lost a game that Wheeler pitched. Uh, they won the Nola game, but they also lost the game that Ranger Suarez started and the game that Syndergaard uh, started. So it wasn't even like that, oh, the Phillies are better built for the postseason because they have two aces. Um, no, they just won. They just beat them yeah. um, with their with their offense and, and then in, in game three with Aaron Ola. So you got to give them credit. You know, we'll see if they can if that can hold up over a seven game series. Uh, but the good news is for them, uh, they wrapped it up pretty quickly and they can set their rotation however they want uh, for that series beginning in San Diego. So they, they're going to have Wheeler and Ola pitch twice uh, if, it, if it goes that far. Yeah, and that's that's an incredible advantage that you know, you could have as well. And I mean, but I guess the same you could say for the San Diego Padres as well. You got to think that you Darvish is going to wind up pitching twice. And um, who do they even use in game two? I, I wasn't, oh, but they used, didn't they? No, they used they Blake Snell. They used Darvish in Blake two because they had to go with Clevenger in game right. one because of everybody they used against the Mets. Right, right, right. Um, and Joe Musgrove, I believe, Musgrove, that's right. Would, would he? He might only be able to pitch once then, because he he pitched game three. Um, we just kind of forget about the like the four. amount of arms that the San Diego Padres acquired over the past few years. Like, like because Clevenger was injured. Like I went into this year and I was like, oh yeah, I, f- I forgot my Clevenger pitches. <laughs> it's like I forgot that he actually like plays baseball and stuff like that, but. Yeah, and, and I mean, where does Shamanaya even fall into the fold? Does he is he like coming out of the bullpen or what's going on there? I don't know what his situation is now, but he was pretty terrible down the stretch. So he pitched his way out of the postseason rotation. Um, oh, I, oh yeah. The way their bullpen's been pitching, I, I wouldn't even want to see him come out of the bullpen. They've been doing so well. Josh Hader looks like Josh Hader. Uh, they got Robert Suarez, who you know, if, if anybody listening doesn't know his name, know his name because he's he's thirty one years old. Uh, he he's a gem that they found and he's turned into like this incredible reliever uh, who could be used for multiple innings out of their bullpen. And he's a free agent after this year. So, you know, one of your teams so he'll, f- he'll find himself a nice payday. Yeah, one of your teams might be giving him a nice three or four year deal. Yeah. You know how, I mean, you get a half of a season out of a reliever and he's already making 20, 15, 15, $12 million a year. Yeah. Well, look at Scott Efros, who the Yankees traded for. He had, a solid first four months, and he pitched he pitched okay last year for the Cubs, and then the Cubs got a pretty decent pitching prospect, uh, Hayden Westneski, who actually had a really good September after mm-hmm. he came up for the Cubs, just for developing this reliever who gave them a good four months. The Yankees said, "All right, well, we we'll take the reliever who's under control." Yeah, and now he's uh, now he's set for Tommy John. Now so. he's set for Tommy John, but the Cubs have a have a legitimate starting pitching prospect because of it. Yeah. So if you enter, if if anyone ever ends up running an MLB team. Use that strategy. Just to pull up a bunch of relievers and see who sticks and trade them. And yeah, repeat. There you go. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. Now I feel just a little bit more nervous about the whole Yankee situation. I just I just wanted it over with tonight. You know what yeah. I mean? Regardless if you win or lose. But, you know, I'm sure Aaron Boone is back there, you know, just, you know, just, you know, just feeding the media 
whatever kind of crap that he feeds them all the time. I just, I can't stand Aaron Boom. But anyway, I think we should we should move on to happier talks, <laughs> yes. especially especially with what transpired over the the weekend with the NFL. And I just want to say before we start talking about the slate of games that I was prepared to talk some shit to you, Dan, about the one o'clock slate. I was in like the ninety eighth percentile of like ESPN. I was in first place by like four games. I was really riding high. And then the Sunday night game and the four o'clock games hit and I just pooped the bed completely. I mean, just bad pick after bad pick. I mean, to be fair, I didn't see Seattle really beating Arizona to be fair. Um, I'm blaming the chiefs pick on my girlfriend and then the complete egregious pick of picking Dallas in Philadelphia was a really bad decision by me, but I think what we should start off is we should start off with, you know, I think Jeff Bezos is going to wind up fighting Roger Goodell in like a boxing match or something because Thursday Night Football has produced some of the worst football throughout this year that we have ever seen. And the matchups, I mean, I have a magnet on my refrigerator because I have Amazon Prime. They sent me a magnet. Thanks. Thank you so much. You sent me a magnet of this. Thursday night football schedule. I looked at it yesterday. These matchups don't get any better as the season goes on. I mean, we're looking at the Saints and the Cardinals coming up, which is probably the best matchup that we've seen up until this point, or at least besides for what week two was the Chargers and the Chiefs. Other than that, it's been hot garbage. But this was another one that we presumed was going to be hot garbage, and that was the Washington Commanders and the Chicago Bears. Two of the bleakest teams in the NFL. And, you know, it's in just typical Bears fashion. They come up literally inches short of winning the football game. Literally inches short. Um, But their offense was abysmal. So I don't really feel bad for them. Um, But at the same time, you kind of feel like the commanders didn't deserve to win. In fact, their one touchdown was on the uh, after the muffed punt. Uh, that that set them, I think, six yards away from the end zone. And then we got that nice moment where Brian Robinson uh, scored his first NFL touchdown. But between that and the the um, incompetence of the Bears' offense down the stretch, it really felt like neither team wanted to win this. And no, this was not a, a defensive battle. I think it would kind of be an insult to call it a defensive battle, even if the defenses were pretty solid. Uh, this was just bad offense. And we found out later on that Carson Wentz has a finger injury. Uh, and he's going to miss the next four to six weeks, which and could possibly turn the commander season around. It could. I mean, it could end. It could end his Carson Wentz's season just because he may end up on the bench if Taylor Heineke outplays him. Is there um, someone that has worse luck than Carson Wentz? No, no. But but and you know what? Like even though the Commanders don't have a very good offense, you have to feel like the injury hurt him a bit. Um, yeah. On, in that game, because I mean, twelve of twenty-two for ninety-nine yards. Like he threw for three fifty-four against the Titans the week before on the road. Um, maybe it wasn't on the road, but you threw against the Titans. I think the commanders would have pulled that out pretty easily uh, if he was making throws. And I will say they had a few drops too, which adds to the idea that, you know, this was not a defensive battle. It was just bad offense. Um, But yeah, if Taylor Heineke was in that game in place of an injured Carson Wentz, I kind of feel like it wouldn't have been very close. 
Um, I, you know, what else do I even have to say about these two teams? They're they're both headed nowhere. Well, I have something to say. Both two and four. Well, I know you have something to say. Oh, and I bet I can build off of it too because I think I know what you're going to say. First thing I want to say is if if I'm the Commanders, this is me. You know me. I make some questionable decisions when it comes to uh, when I act like the GM. This is just me being a, a purely a future type of guy. I know what I get out of Taylor Heineke already. Put Sammy Howell in there to start, and let's see what he's got. I mean, this was a guy who was considered considered at some point throughout the draft process last year as a consensus first-round pick, and we all know how the class, the quarterback class, fell out last year. But this is a guy that can make all the NFL throws. He's got a big arm. He's mobile. You know, maybe you bring a little bit more of an excitement to that offense, someone that has a little bit of swagger. He reminds me of like a first-year Baker Mayfield type of guy. You know what I mean? Who yeah, who could bring who could bring that offense to life? Yeah, you know, I mean, he he showed so much at North Carolina. The only thing is, he showed a lot of bad. Yeah, too, but I mean, but that's what that's what Baker Mayfield does. Maybe not so much in college, but in the NFL, you know, you see these these great highlight plays where you say like, well, well, in Sam Howell's case, that's an NFL quarterback, and then he'd end up throwing a bad interception. Uh, but no, with the of way course. the Commanders' offense has been, I mean, you almost want to take that, right? <laughs> You'll yeah, that's what I'm, saying. I'm, you're, I'm you're just throwing the idea out there. I mean, I mean, if it is a six-week injury, you know, and, and Taylor Heineke is 0-3, 0-4 as a starter, you might as well just give it a shot because your season's gone by then. Right. I mean, if you – what are they now? They're 2-4. and four, And they're their two and four. coming up is pretty yeah. brutal. Yeah, if you lose three games, you're 2-7, and seven, you're, and especially the way that the NFC East has been playing – your season's done already, so you might as well just put him in there and see what he's got. But I just thought it would be fun to, to throw out there. Um, other thing I want to say, believe it or not, hold the presses, Dan. Don't have a heart attack when I say this. I thought that Justin Fields made one really, really good throw, and it was the touchdown pass. And I thought that that was actually that was that was a, that was an elite throw. I will give Justin Fields a little bit of credit. That was a nice throw. Um, if there's no defenders on the field and Dante Pettis runs the same route, I don't know if he could replicate that throw, but at the time he did a good job, but uh, Justin Fields is terrible. I mean, you had a tweet that basically, uh, blew up to some degree, just, just showing how porous of a quarterback Justin Fields is. Yeah. He had that throw to the. The throw to the end zone. I forget who he was throwing to, but it really – I, th- I think it was Ryan Griffin, the tight end, um, former Jet. Jet uh, legend. There's a reason why he's not on the Jets anymore. And, though, this one was not his fault. Justin Fields had him clear as day in, in the end zone, easy touchdown, um, overthrew him by three or four feet. Uh, no excuse for it. He was completely alone in the pocket. Um, and so, you know, I, I use that opportunity to say, well, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick said on the postgame show – that Justin Fields needs to realize he's not Patrick Mahomes, he's not Peyton Manning, he's more like Cam Newton, he's not a pocket passer. And people took offense to that, saying to him saying Justin Fields is not a pocket passer. Uh, some people took it racially, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but no matter what you think, he's not a pocket passer right now. I mean, you can't stand in the pocket and overthrow your wide-open tight end uh, by three or four feet in the end zone and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pocket passer. Um, no matter whose fault it is, they, they're going to have to dial up some more plays that involve him on the ground. I think I'd rather lose with him running 
yeah. um, than him throwing it. At least give him a chance and give that offense a chance to get in the field goal range on some of these play on some of these drives. Yeah, you know, I will say that Justin Fields kind of reminds me of like having Taysom Hill in there at quarterback, where it's like, yeah, you're probably gonna run, and then you know he'll drop back, and it's cute that you know he like you know, throws a pass and, and, you know, it's completed and you're like, oh, wow, he did something. But yeah, I think you're hundred percent right. I think that the offense over the next couple of weeks really has to design more rollouts, more play action, get him either running or just get him out of the pocket. He just can't stand back there. He's not a guy that's going to stay at any point in his career. Even if he turns it around and becomes a first round quarterback talent, he's never going to be a guy that's going to stand in the pocket and just pick you apart pass by pass. It's just not going to happen. He's just not that type of player. And that's not me being biased saying, because I think he's terrible. He's just not that type of player. He was not that type of player at Ohio state. He's not that player for the Chicago bears. So I think you're right. I think over the next couple of weeks, they do have to, you know, kind of get something else going in the offense department because seven points. And I'm pretty sure that they're in like the bottom five and points scored throughout six weeks. And I think it's, it's, like abundantly clear that the offense needs to change at least a little bit, at least try and adapt. But I did pick the commanders because I have no hope in the Chicago bears uh, this past week. I picked the Washington commanders. Okay, good. So we were off to, I started and, and 50, 56% of people on the poll that I did pick the bears. Really? So uh, there are still bears believers out there. Yeah. That was probably all bears fans on that one. Uh, Let me pull this up real quick because I know we like to go in this order. Uh, what is the next game here? Let us see. It is the, well, I guess we could just start off with my lock of the week that turned out to be hot garbage. And that is the uh, San Francisco 49ers and the Atlanta Falcons. And I, I got to be honest with you, Jen, I am just pissed off. I'm not pissed off that I lost the my lock of the week. I'm pissed off that the Atlanta Falcons sort of kind me ha- kind of having me believe that they're a semi decent football team. I'm very excited about this game because I picked. I don't know if you saw on Instagram. Did you Atlanta, pick the Atlanta Falcons? I picked the Atlanta Falcons. And wow. I, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it for your lock of the week because I didn't want to. I didn't want to change your mind. Although I don't think you would have changed your mind. I probably wouldn't have. But wow. But I I, I picked the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I don't think there was enough people paying attention to the fact that the 49ers defense is horribly injured. Yeah. They did not, they had no defensive line. They had no um, Nick Bosa. Eric Armstead, Javon Kinlaw. No, Javon Kinlaw. And then they lost two, uh, two starters in the secondary. Jimmy Ward wasn't playing. I think he's, I think it's only a short-term injury. Um, and Emmanuel Mosley was not playing. He's out for the season. So I'm thinking, you know, all of a sudden we know the Falcons know how to run the ball a little bit, no matter who's, no matter who's there, because Cordell Patterson um, is out, but they, they've still managed to run with, I don't even know their names, Tyler Algier and uh, and the other guy. But now <laughs> I'm thinking they can pass the ball too. Kyle Pitts is coming back. Um, I know they I know they still, I know Marcus Mariota is still Marcus Mariota, but uh, it ended up being correct. Mar- Marcus Mariota completed, what, his first 11 or 12 passes? Yeah, he was on fire. Um, and then they kind of took the ball out of his hands. Uh, and they kind of let the run game do the rest. That's why I think Marcus Mariota finished with something like 150 yards. Um, but the, the Atlanta Falcons, even though the 49ers were pretty undermanned, the Atlanta Falcons are looking like that team you talked about at the beginning of the season when you said that they had a chance 
to beat the Saints. And I yeah. said, well, I don't know. this team looks looks just looks terrible. And they didn't beat the Saints, but they look like a, a real NFL team right here. I mean, we're talking about a team that is legitimately like like ten points away from being six and zero. Like, if, yeah. if you think about it, like, no, you it, know, I don't like playing the what if game, but it's very close for them. It, it's extremely close. They lost what week one by one point. They lost against the Rams by what four points. And then I'm I'm blanking on their third loss, but oh, against the last week against the Bucks, it was what eight points, seven points that they lost by. Yeah, I mean well, the, the the game against the Bucks. I mean, we talked about this before, but they they had a chance. They could have had a chance to win that yeah. if that roughing the passer wasn't called. I, I think it's I think it is time, honestly, to respect the Atlanta Falcons a little bit. And and I certainly after this after this lock of the week ass kicking. I am definitely going to respect them a little bit more and maybe consider them a little bit more. From the 49ers side, I'm not really concerned at all. I'm I'm I mean like injuries, yeah, like they were just decimated by injuries this week. Once they start to get healthy, I'm sure they'll play a little bit better. Jimmy G turning the ball over three times though kind of like bothered me a little bit. You know, this is an Atlanta Falcons defense that has played well, but they're not great by any means. So, you know, m- if Jimmy G is supposed to be a game manager who doesn't turn the ball over and he turns the ball over three times against the Atlanta Falcons, a little bit worrisome to me, but at the same time, they had to take the ball out of Jeff Wilson's hands. They had to make Jimmy Garoppolo throw the ball because they were consistently chasing two scores. So at that point, he just had to kind of let it fly. But, uh, you know, hats off to the Atlanta Falcons. Hats off to Arthur Smith and hats off to Dean Pease as well because his defense – has been playing well above what they were supposed to be playing up until this point. Yeah. Arthur Smith is 10-13 and 13 as, a, as a head coach. It's not Maybe bad. Like, considering the talent he's had, um, we, besides this week, we've kind of learned this year that Matt Ryan did not – maybe does not have a lot left in the tank, although we'll talk about that later. But, you know, the, the fact that they went 7-10 and 10 with that team last year, really no defense besides Terrell and Brady Jarrett. Um, and the fact that they've, they've honestly looked even better this year, even more competitive. Uh, is a testament to him. Makes me look forward to whatever they do in the offseason. I, I think they have a ton of cap space, if I remember yeah, that. they correctly. have like over $100 million in cap space. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to be in position to draft a high quarterback right now. I mean, that's that's kind of the, that's kind of the question is, are you, you know, are you playing your way out of a of a top draft pick? Yeah, but you know yeah. what? You got to win now. You got to, no, you know. You. No, I'm, it was, yeah. it, it's almost like it's an, it's an unfortunate symptom of that. Yeah, you know, I don't think they should change strategy. And, um, you know, it, it's helpful, too, for Arthur Smith. This is good for his job security. Absolutely. I mean, because if you go four and 12, four and 13 and then you draft a quarterback next year and things don't turn around right away, you might yeah, you're, you're fired. Yeah, and You might have somebody else come and develop him. If you can go eight and nine this year and, you know, who knows what happens in the offseason, you've guaranteed yourself a couple more years. Um, no, but you mentioned the 49ers offense, too. That continues to be the issue with that team. Not that Trey Lance would have been better, but Jimmy Garoppolo is just not that guy where if you fall down two touchdowns, he's going to lead you back. We've seen a lot of yeah. games where the 49ers go up early and they hold on to it um, or, or they blow it. You know, that's what we saw against the, the Rams in the NFC title game. But have we seen the 49ers actually mount a comeback with Jimmy Garoppolo? Not really. So No, not really. You know, I, 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 don't, I, I feel like that still continues to be the huge flaw with that team is you just can't trust him. If they go down one or two touchdowns, 
that, that they're going to come back and win. I know uh, Trent Williams isn't isn't playing yet, and um, it, I feel like George Kittle needs to make a big make a bigger impact. And I know Elijah Mitchell's not playing, but that, that's my issue with them is is if if you get into an offensive battle, which for some reason the Falcons game turned into, they have, they're going to have a hard time winning it. So just for you keeping score at home, the Atlanta Falcons were picked by seven percent of people on ESPN and Dan Tracy was one of them. Hats off to you. That's got honestly, I'm gonna go out there and be ballsy and say it. First off, I'm gonna give you credit, a lot of credit, because I would have never done something like that. That is the pick of the year so far. Thank you. We're talking about this. I think that's the pick of the year. That yeah, was 90, that's a great call by you. People in the poll that I put up picked him. And I, I think that's probably the biggest upset in terms of uh of people picking um not in terms of odds because they were only favored by like four and a half or five and a half yeah in terms of the fan poll i I don't think i've ever picked somebody picked a team that's been nine percent or lower and some people let me know about it in the comments and uh, i let them know about it too on sunday yeah you talk that smoke there dan (laughs) you talk that smoke but But they could come back to me and tell me like why did you think the browns would beat the yeah yeah i was speaking of that great segue the next game here is the New England Patriots and the Cleveland Browns. And I listen, I knew this was going to happen. The reason why I knew this was going to happen is because Austin Eckler, who I'm not shitting on, I think Austin Eckler is a great running back. But to allow Austin Eckler to run for 179 yards against your defense, where I'm pretty sure he's never cracked 125 rushing yards in a single game, that was really, really worrisome. They were gashed. All the time. And this is a consistent problem with this Cleveland Browns team. Every year, year in and year out, their secondary is good. Their edge rushers are good. Up the middle, they are terrible. And they are getting hammered on the ground yet again. Ramondre Stevenson had two touchdowns, 76 yards. Bailey Zappi is playing like a like what Mac Jones is supposed to be playing like. And I, I kind of confused in saying that. I mean... Bill Belichick just hung his his shaft all over Kevin Stefanski and the the Cleveland Browns this week. Yeah, I, I think Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator in Cleveland. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> We've talked about this last week. He needs to be fired immediately, and he won't be because we're recording this on a Monday. We would have heard about it already. Uh, the fact that he's still employed, I, I somebody somebody needs to explain that to me. Anybody? How do, I, I, if I were them, I'd say, listen, Vic Fangio. We'll pay you any amount of money to come yeah. over and, and coach our defense. You could do it next year. You could do it the year after. Yeah, however long you, you want to be here. The, Joe Woods cannot stay their defensive coordinator. They have too much talent to be getting gashed by Austin Eckler. And then this week, Bailey Zappi. You know, it's, it's not just the run defense. It's the pass defense, too. Mm-hmm. No, you're 100% right in that. But from a, from a New England Patriots standpoint, I mean, they were what? Mac Jones has been out for what three weeks now. Yeah, they were one and two with a rookie fifth round quarterback, sixth round quarterback as their starter. wasn't looking too good. Now the Patriots are, are three and three, and you know you hate to say it, you really do. <laughs> but Bailey Zappi has looked better than Mac Jones so far this year. Yeah, and conveniently, we just saw a report on Sunday come out about how the, the coaching staff without Josh McDaniels isn't really high on Mac Jones, and he's not really high on them either. You kind of wonder, you just wonder, you know, 
I, I guess I guess he would have to make a decision this week because it sounds like Mac Jones is getting pretty close to playing. But you wonder if Bill Belichick's thinking about it, right? Four touchdowns yep. and one interception. He looks like he's getting better with each week. Yeah. I don't Someone know. Brought I mean, up, he, he's forced it to be a conversation. Yeah. And Someone brought up him. a good point on Twitter. And I clowned him for it at the time. But now that I'm thinking about it and I thought about it all day, it really isn't that far-fetched. He said, who says no? Mac Jones and an early mid-round pick, so I'm assuming that's like a second or a third round pick, to the Carolina Panthers for Brian Burns. And I like laughed him out of Twitter, and I was like, "That's there's no way that's stupid. But now I was reading those reports, and I'm like, you know, it's really not that bad. I mean, Carolina's stupid. Their front office is awful. I could see them making a trade for another mid-quarterback. You know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. You know, I tell you what, if the Carolina Panthers do something like that, that whole just throw the entire franchise out, just throw the entire or at least the front office out. But I thought that was that was an interesting trade proposal. Now that I'm thinking about it even more, but yeah, he's definitely forced it to be a conversation of hey, maybe Zappy should start over Mac Jones. But I picked the New England Patriots in this one. I figured that they were going to run all over the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I was still a believer in the Browns, and I think they finally lost me. I picked, you know, I picked them over the Chargers the week before. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm out on the Browns now. And I'll say too, in in the poll that I put up, 50% of people picked the Browns. It was split. Oh wow! Um, seven is 17 more votes for the Browns than the Patriots. So it was like 50 point, you know, two or three yeah. or whatever. But it was legitimately split, um, and I ended up on the wrong side of the split. Wonderful! I love to hear that. Uh, <laughs> now, of course, we have to move on to the next game that's on here. And Dan, I don't know when you're going to hop on this New York Jets pick'em train, but listen, the last three weeks I've been on fire with the New York Jets, and there was not even not a single doubt in my mind. I said it earlier this week to a couple of my friends that I work with that are, that just hate the fact that I'm that big of a Jet fan. I was like, listen. They're going to walk into Green Bay, and they are going to mop the floor with Aaron with Aaron Rodgers. Did I really think that that was going to happen? No, no, I didn't. I did think that they had a legitimate chance at winning, though. Now, granted, I know playing in Green Bay is more way more difficult than playing Green Bay at home, but I mean, I think that this is the signature win of Robert Sala so far for the New York Jets. I mean, granted, yes. The, pa- the Packers are not the Packers of the last 10 years. I mean, that's abundantly clear. They are they are not as good. But this, this defense absolutely manhandled a Hall of Fame quarterback and made him look like he was crying on the bench with like five minutes left in the game. Yeah, well, they made it look easy. I mean, that's the difference between this and the and the, the first two wins. I The Dolphins one looked easy, but, you know, Skylar Thompson was in for half yeah. the game. And- um, but, you know, the, the Steelers ones and the, and the Browns ones were nail biters, to say the least. This one, they went into Lambeau and they beat him pretty soundly. And, you know, even when it was 17-10 uh, for a little bit in the, in the second half, you still felt confident in this team. You didn't, you know, you know, if it was another year and the Jets were up 17-10 against Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau, I mean, you think it was over. I, I thought it was Aaron Rodgers yeah. is coming back. That's exactly what they did to Sam Darnold in 2018. Darnold had had one of his best games uh, probably of his career in mm-hmm. um, it was against the Packers, not on the road. Uh, and the Packers came back. They were down, I think, by a couple touchdowns. They came back and won. This time, you felt like the Jets were in control the entire time. And yeah, um, even when it was 17-10, Brees Hall ended up making it 24-10 and kind of put the put the game to rest a little did bit. You, did you hear that that play wasn't supposed to happen? 
No, well, who drew who drew it up? So what happened was it was supposed to be a double reverse pass. That's what the play was supposed yeah, to be. Yeah. But Brees Hall said that I don't remember what linebacker it was. I, it wasn't Devontae Campbell, and it wasn't Quay Walker. So whoever it was was right on his butt. He said he was like, I felt him right there, and he said I felt like if I if I lateraled it the opposite way, it was going to be a fumble. So he goes, I just saw the hole and just took off. And I mean, listen, it works works because it was a 42 yard touchdown. And that's another thing too. I'm glad you brought that up. Brees Hall looks like the favorite, the clear cut favorite for offensive rookie of the year up until this point. I mean, you know, we said the first couple of weeks, it was very, very slow. He didn't look good in week one. He looked okay. Week two, since week three, he has taken off and he has definitely looked like the bell cow running back for the jets. And on the flip side of that too, Michael Carter has taken this limited role and in stride. I mean, every time Michael Carter touches the ball, he is almost as explosive as Brees Hall. I mean, the Jets really have something cooking in the backfield. The best part is, too, Zach Wilson, they're really, really easing him back into football, too, which is nice. Like, I mean, yeah, he was 10 of 18 for 110 yards. He didn't have to throw the ball. The Jets literally just shoved their – their big balls in the Green Bay's defense's face on, especially on that last drive where they were like, "Listen, we're just going to run the ball until you stop us," and they didn't. So, could you see at the at the end of the year the two Rookie of the Year awards both being Jets? Yeah, um, yeah, Sauce Gardner and Brees Sauce Hall, Gardner and that would be Hall. the first time since 2017. Uh, Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore. <laughs> to be honest, like I have a good memory, but that the, the fact that that was only five years ago is shocking. If I would have said like. Uh, you know, it's never. If you told me that's never happened before, I probably would have believed you. I, I forgot that the Saints managed to do that in the same year. Um, yeah, the but Saints, the Saints were were what thirteen and three that year, something like that. Yeah. Maybe we could pull that out. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, fourteen and three, thirteen and four. Let's reel that. Like, yeah, there we go, fourteen and three, and maybe even fifteen and two. We only have two losses so right. far. So. Well, but, so are, are you picking them against the Broncos? Then I guess should I even absolutely? Ask I'm absolutely I'm picking them against the Broncos. Are you kidding me? Until the only time upcoming that I won't pick the Jets is when they're playing the Bills. That's the only time I'm not going to pick them in the next like four weeks. Because you know what? This Jets team has me believing that if they're not going to win, they are going to be very competitive. And that's all that, going into this year. That's all I asked for. I wanted to see a couple wins that they probably shouldn't have had. And already we've seen a couple wins that they probably shouldn't have had. And, and, and it's progress. They are in every game. Really the only game that they were just not in from beginning to end was the Cincinnati Bengals game. You know, they've showed tremendous promise and growth throughout the season. I mean, Sauce Gardner is as advertised as well. Uh, and that might be an understatement. I mean, he's he's legitimately probably a top ten corner in the league right now. Yeah, easily, you, easily. You just don't see from from a, a rookie. I mean, if you do, sometimes it's later in the year. Um, Pat Sertan played a lot better late in the year last year than yeah. in the beginning. Uh, Sauce came in and he's playing like a pro bowler. Um, so, and look at the receivers. Look at some of the receivers he's had to go up against. Yeah. It's so far. I mean, you, you got to throw Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle in there. Jamar Chase, he went up against as well. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty impressive CV through six weeks of the season. He's not intimidated. I mean, he, he came into the NFL um, with with the confidence of of an NFL player. I, I know I know everybody who comes into the NFL is confident, but there's something a little different about him. Where he's he's not overconfident. He's not Jalen Ramsey. 
but he's he goes into there with like a, a steady energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he he was talking the week before they faced Tyreek Hill that you know um, he wasn't he wasn't saying you know I'm going to shut him down and all that. He said no, this is what you have to do to to earn your stripes in the NFL. Yeah. You have to you have to face and play well against uh, the big guys. Uh, and he did. He went in there and he played very well against Tyreek Hill after he played that well against Jamar Chase. Um, so, you know, there's more challenges to come. He's going to face Stephon Diggs twice later this year, you know, as long as everybody's healthy. But the, what he's doing right now is has to give you so much hope uh, as a Jets fan. And um, I, I, I probably have to dig back into the archives to confirm this, but in ever since I started doing polls for everybody's NFL picks every week in 2020, I'm not sure there's been a week where a majority of people pick the Jets. I, I'm real, I really don't know. I think this might be oh the first one. I mean, because the year they went 2-14, and 14, I don't think there was a game where a majority picked them. I know they faced uh, oh. Brett, Brett Rippon, who was the Broncos' third string. Yeah, but he, might, he mopped the floor with them. And, and I'm pretty sure people still pick the Broncos. Yeah, but he like threw for like three touchdown passes that game yeah, too. Yeah, well, you know, that's how bad the Jets were. I'm not sure anybody's actually picked them. In a week, maybe maybe against the Texans last year, I could Listen. actually see that. But th- I think this week, majority of people are going to pick them against the Broncos, even on the road. Yeah, you know, I don't want to get too overconfident though, because you know this is all exciting and this is relatively new for us. This is the first feeling. This is the first time I've had a feeling where the Jets could make a push for a wild card spot since 2010, 2011. You know what I'm saying? Like this is. This is that type of feel so far throughout this year where they've thoroughly impressed, especially on the defensive side. Um, I don't want to get too overconfident with that. I think it's a great, great win for the Jets. It's a signature win for Robert Sala and and his coaching staff. And um, from the Green Bay perspective, I mean, this, if it wasn't time to hit the panic button, a 17-point loss at home to the New York Jets is what I am – the panic button is broken at this point. I'm hitting it so many times. Like – it's not time to relax. The The front office needs to do something for Aaron Rodgers. They need to get him either another offensive lineman or they need to get him a freaking wide receiver because besides for Alan Lazard's touchdown catch, there was nothing impressive about that wide receiving core at all. And they're also injured as well. Christian Watson's going to miss some time. Amari Rodgers was out there catching passes. I mean, what are we doing out here? Yeah, I think the offensive line is just as big of an issue, like you mentioned, probably one that people are overlooking. Uh, but he's going out there and kind of getting harassed on a weekly basis and in the past. I mean, the, the Packers offensive line was kind of the, the centerpiece of that offense. Everybody knew the receivers. Okay, you know, Devontae Adams. But Aaron Rodgers had all the time in the world. This year he doesn't, and he doesn't have the receivers. It's a pretty bad combo. And they don't, they don't have the run game either because of this offensive yeah. line. Um, so I, they have a tough schedule coming up, not against the Commanders this week, but after that. I believe they play the, the Bills, if I heard that correctly. Coming oh up boy! Soon. And they have a they have a few tough games down the stretch. So, best of luck to them. Yes, indeed. Moving on to the next game here, we have the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I made a last second decision, Dan. In my heart of hearts, I knew that it wasn't going to be a twenty-four nothing zip again. But I said to myself, I was like, you know what? Jacksonville's coming off of a couple bad losses in a row. We then went from two and two and looking like significantly improved to, well, I'm sorry, two and one and looking significantly improved to two and three and not looking that great the last couple of games. I was like, maybe they'll turn it around. What what a better team to turn it around against than the Indianapolis Colts. But at 
literally at 1256, I said, you know what? I'm going to roll with the Indianapolis Colts. I said, they're, these divisional games usually go 1-1 in the series anyway. So I was like, I might as well just take a shot on that. And um, like you said before, Matt Ryan has shown so far this year that he does not have a lot left in the tank. I think he blew whatever was left in the tank <laughs> on this game. On he let Sunday. it all out. He let it all out, man. I, I It's funny. I actually – this was my last-minute change too. Not so much last minute because I kind of – you know, I, I locked these in on Thursday and all that. So this is Sunday game. Um, but the last one I was deciding between uh, was the Jaguars and Colts. And kind of, I kind of the same thought as you. Well, um, you know, they beat them once already. Are they really going to beat them twice in a season? It's, it's very rare that, you know, unless you have a team that's clearly better than, than the other, that they sweep them uh, in the season series. Uh, so I went with the, I went with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, Matt Ryan, Played out of his mind. In fact, when I picked this game, I thought Jonathan Taylor was playing because oh. he was starting to practice again. And then I saw him, I saw him get ruled out on Saturday, and I said, "Okay, well, that's a mistake by me." Um, no, because Matt Ryan came out and had the game of his life uh, or the game of his season. Was it 389 yards, two or three? 389 yards. I think it was three touchdowns. Uh, yeah, the game-winning drive that ended up with a touchdown to Alec Pierce. Listen, I I, I had this conversation with you before where I said I think the Colts are starting to find it in the passing game and that could be the big difference. I don't wanna I don't wanna say it again and be wrong again because they've let me down before. But if they can play like that on a weekly basis with that passing game, all of a sudden you can win the division. But you know, I'm I'm kinda run out of confidence that they can do it on a on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I think has been overlooked because you know we we've been focused not only us, just everyone in general has been focused on what <laughs> what the um what the offense brings to the table, what, what Matt Ryan has lacked so far this year and what Jonathan Taylor has lacked so far this year, especially being injured as well. The offensive line was not playing. This is a unit that you go into this year, a top five, maybe even a top three unit on paper, and they've been playing like hot ass. And that even includes Quentin Nelson as well. This was the first game so far this year where they looked like a competent offensive line again, they gave Matt Ryan time to throw. Listen, if you give not only a former MVP, if you give an average run-of-the-mill college quarterback four, five, six seconds to throw every once in a while, they're going to make a throw. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 someone's going to get open. Can you? That's an eternity, especially in man coverage. If I'm covering some, someone for five seconds and my guys don't get to the quarterback, I'm just going to stop right there and be like, you know what? I did my part. It, you guys didn't do your part. So the offensive line played really, really well uh, for the first time this year. And I really think that that was the driving force. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, uh, two rushing touchdowns. He didn't look that great, but he did lead a really nice drive at the end of the game that I thought was the game-winning drive. And I said, here we go again. I'm picking the Colts, and they're losing again. But I should have known that Matty Ice, even though he's Matty Melted Ice now, he has, you know, a little bit left in the tank. Yeah, the offense really wasn't bad for Jacksonville. I think Trevor Lawrence only had two incompletions, um, and the running game had like contributions from everybody. They they were, I think they posted something like two hundred and forty rushing yards or two thirty or something. They like, yeah. far outran the, the Colts. Uh, the secondary couldn't hold them. They, they could not hold contain Matt Ryan, which is strange because they did an amazing job <laughs> of that in what week two. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to explain that except for the Colts learned their lesson and they, they prepared very well for the team that beat them last time. 
Um, you know, so the Jaguars are pretty disappointing going from two and one to two and four. But um, yes, I I picked the Colts, and it sounds like you picked the Colts at the last minute, and so we both and ended up getting that one right. Yeah, and then moving on to uh, daily Dan. I mean, of course, Dan picked the team that was playing against Skylar Thompson. Well, the, uh, it was out there for anybody to pick. I know. I mean, I just saw it's San Francisco and Atlanta, and I was like, oh, that seems like a no-brainer. But, of course, it wasn't. But, yeah, hats off to you. This is your lock of the week, the Minnesota Vikings and the Miami Dolphins. Uh, 40 points between the two teams is probably something, especially if you look at the pass, passing statistics for both yeah. quarterbacks. You're like, oh, this has got to be like a 40 to 38 game. 24 to 16. I mean, and Teddy Bridgewater coming into the game at what? Late in the second quarter, right? Mm-hmm. And he threw for like 370 yards. Like, insane. Yeah, so so much of it was was garbage time for the Dolphins. Um, right. When they were down 24-10 at the end, and they even had another drive where it looked like it was kind of out of reach. Um, yeah, Tyreek Hill had a huge game. Justin Jefferson had a huge game. Jalen Waddle put up a lot of yards. Um, we don't like, I feel like the jury's out on this Dolphins team until, until week seven. If they can come yeah. back next week with Tua, because Tua is expected to be back, you know, if he plays somewhat like he did at the beginning of the year and these receivers really burn the Steelers in a way that the Buccaneers couldn't, um, you know, if they look more like the Bills against the Steelers than the Buccaneers against the Steelers, they're fine. I think the, the defense played not bad against the Vikings, even though they let up a few, they let up that big Dalvin Cook run. They mm-hmm. let Justin Jefferson have a big day. Other than that, the defense wasn't that bad. They stopped them on third down a lot. Um, week seven is going to tell us a lot about the Dolphins. I still don't really know what to think about the Vikings, even at five and one. You kind of want a more convincing win against Skylar Thompson. This was a game until about the last five minutes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, wins a win, five and one. These are games they might have lost with Mike Zimmer because, you know, Mike Zimmer, those, those yeah. teams lost to. Let, let's say this the Vikings are still inconsistent. But they're not losing those games to bad teams anymore. They're just not winning them by enough, and you kind of you kind of have to take that as a win. Yeah, and I I, I agree with you to an extent. This one kind of felt more like you know this was a even though it's only a one score game at the end of the day, it seemed like even though it was only twenty four points and they really didn't put this team to bed throughout the course of the game, that you never felt like the Vikings were going to lose this game. And this was a game that I looked at. Oh, Skylar Thompson second career start like he could go in there and shock the Vikings because the Vikings are a perfect candidate to lose a game like this and they went out there and they didn't Kirk Cousins played pretty good football you know he didn't turn the ball over in Kirk typical Kirk Cousins fashion I didn't really feel like at all that this game was ever going to be swayed over to the the Miami Dolphins even when Teddy Bridgewater came into the game Uh, I think they did a good job I know a little bit more about this team now I feel like we're never going to see the Vikings blow a team out, but they're going to grind out those close, difficult matchups. I feel like I feel like far and away the Vikings are the best team in the NFC North, and I, I feel like they're already sort of kind of running away with this division. Yeah, two-game lead and a tiebreaker. Now, the tiebreaker is not guaranteed to last. Um, there's always a chance the Packers beat them, and then I think they'd have, they'd have to take division record. There's right. another tiebreaker, so it's not over, but it's it's kind of kind of shocking that we have a, a two game lead and a tiebreaker already for the Vikings, and it feels like if they can win a few more of these games that they should win, that they're going to win this division pretty easily. Yeah. I didn't really expect that, but um, but I did expect that the Vikings would win this game, 
end. Uh, so that that was a good. Uh, what is I did too, if it matters to you. I, at all. I, didn't, I didn't keep track uh, of my record so far, but I think I'm nine and four for the week. So that was a big help for me. Okay, I'm moving on. Uh, <laughs> well, you're not so nine like, and four. Um, no, That's but if game. I but if but if my pick wins tonight, then I'll be eight and eight and six. So okay. Right. I'll take it. I mean, right. but considering that I started off the week like seven and two, like that's just that's a complete letdown. But <laughs> moving on to the next game on the slate, the Bengals and the Saints turned out to be a much more entertaining game than I thought, especially without Chris Olave. I thought this was really, really going to be a one-sided affair. And even at even away, I thought Cincinnati was going to dominate this game. But uh, a couple positives. I mean, Joe Burrow played some flawless football. Uh, J- the return of Jamar Chase. I know people were worried that Jamar Chase wasn't going to be the same. Tough to put up numbers like he did in his rookie year, but you know, 129 yards, two touchdowns. The two touchdowns that really mattered the most, too, which is the most important. And um, I'm just going to come out and say it: Andy Dalton needs to be the starter of the New Orleans Saints from here on out. I mean, he he just gives them the best chance to win. I feel like Jameis Winston would be in none of these football games if if he was playing. Yeah, we talked about it after that London game. He just made the offense look a lot better than Jameis, uh, and he still does. Now, the issue – well, first of all, the issue with the Saints team is the injuries. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I was high on the Saints coming into the year. I picked them each of the first five weeks. I didn't pick them this week. Um, but it, it still feels like they could be a very good team if they would just get everybody healthy. I mean, the fact that they scored 26 and were leading this game late with Michael Thomas out – Jarvis Landry out, Chris Olave out. Uh, the fact that I think, but did Marshawn Lattimore play in this one too? I don't, I don't think he did. Uh, uh, I, I don't think he did. I think yeah, he so right the fact that. that they, I mean, I guess you could tell by the way Jamar Chase played. Yeah. But the fact that they were <laughs> in this game for so long tells me a lot about this team. But, you know, I'm afraid it's never going to come together because now we have Andy Dalton dealing with a back injury, which I don't know how significant that is, but they play on Thursday this week. That's an issue. And if Chambers yeah. is out there playing on Thursday, I think that's an issue too. Uh, that also <laughs> means Michael Thomas probably won't be back. Uh, it means Jarvis Landry probably won't be back. I think Chris Olave was cleared. So I think he'll be back, which is great news for whoever's under center. Um, but, you know, it feels like this, this Saints team is so close, but I don't know if they're going to get there. Um, the good news is the Buccaneers are three and three. They, yeah. they literally just have to beat Tampa and hope that the, well, and they, they already beat the Falcons once. If they beat the Buccaneers, in their next matchup, they control their fate basically because they'd be tied with them. You know, if 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 um, if everything went the way the Saints wanted it to, so they're not out of it yet. But I'm worried that if these injuries don't don't ease up soon, that they're not going to be able to, to get out of this this rut. And you know, people, no, are, people I think you're right. I think this division is wide open right now. To be honest yeah. with you, oh, definitely the yeah. way they're playing, especially I mean, the way that the Falcons are playing. <laughs> but what about no, the I think you're. I think you're right. I mean, I mean, it's not even. It's not even over for the soon-to-be Sam Darnold-led Carolina Panthers. No, no, it's it's, it's, it's very much over for them. But yeah, I, I, I'm going to have to agree with you here. As much as, as much as I hate to say it, I really think the Saints are just a consistent quarterback away from. I mean, being a contender and a competitor every single week. I mean, we see it now with Andy Dalton. This team is very well coached, and this team has a ton of talent. When healthy, they are one of the most talented units in all the NFL, minus the quarterback. If you take the quarterback position away, then they're extremely talented. So um, 
yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's out of reach. I did pick the Bengals, and I kind of sweated it out a little bit uh, on that one. I'm sure you did as well. Yeah, I picked the Bengals, and it, 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 once the injuries uh, piled up and I heard that all three receivers were out, I, I figured this yeah. would be an easy Bengals win. Um, but, you know, I give credit to the Saints for keeping it close, but that was classic Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, late-game magic that we saw from them. That's exactly what, what you want to see from that offense. Absolutely. Moving on to the next game, and <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I guess I got to put a little bit more respect on this Giants team. Now, please don't tell me that you picked the Giants. I did not. Okay, all right. This makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> um, I was considering it. You know why I was considering it? A lot of my f- – friends went to the Giants game and usually when a lot of my friends go to a giant game they somehow win I don't know what it I, I don't know what it is but I thought to myself I said you know what I, I knew it was going to be close but I thought that Lamar would send this team a, re, a a little bit of a reality check like you know what I mean like that they were still missing one thing and that one thing probably was like defending the quarterback especially running. Now, granted, you know, Lamar still had 77 rushing yards, but, you know, it's not anything that we're used to. And this this Baltimore Ravens team continues to blow late leads. And it's, I mean, uh, what, what was it? 34 to, 35 to 14, 20 to 3, and then what were they up? 20 to, 20, was it? 20 to 10. Pretty late. 20 to 10. I mean, they just continue to blow late leads. And another thing too, which I actually, um, I actually talked with one of my friends about this and, and I thought it was an interesting conversation is I know that Lamar Jackson still leads all quarterbacks in rushing yards, but he does not look like himself running the football. I think that weight gain that he put on that, that muscle gain that he had in the off season, I think it was like 20, it was like absurd. It was like 20 or 25 pounds. I think it's really hampering his ability to run the football more effectively or, or at least as effectively as we're used to him running. Yeah, I mean something's different. The the with the entire offense, something's uh, off. Yeah, I think the offense is the issue officially. You know, when they blew that to the Dolphins, everybody said, "Well, th- this defense has a, a ton of issues. The secondary is a problem," um, which was correct. But that the blown lead to the Bills, you know, of course they're going to give up seventeen points or twenty points to the Bills over the last two and a half quarters. They're the Bills. You need to score. And in this game, they had two offensive mistakes that really cost them the game: um, the, uh, the the strip sack and the interception. I think I got mm-hmm. the order wrong on that, but um, <laughs> yeah, the the interception set up that Giants touchdown to take the lead, and the strip sack blew the Ravens' chance of going down the field and taking the lead. And last week against the Bengals, they kind of relied on Justin Tucker's leg carrying them to a win. I mean, if it was any other kicker, they they would have had to get further down the field than they did against Cincinnati. This offense has issues right now, and for some reason we see Lamar Jackson play so well toward the beginning of games, and then the entire offense shut down late in the game. Yeah. Um, you know, as as for that, you know, the timing of when they perform and when they don't, I don't even know how to explain that. I why are you know why can't they score points in the fourth quarter? It's something that John Harbaugh's got to figure out yeah, because yeah. we got to have some know, answers. I mean, when are they gonna when they play these? You know, I understand the Browns aren't that great this year. I understand the Steelers aren't that great. Even the Bengals, who they just beat, they already have a win over them. But you, you kind of feel like these AFC North games where everything turns into a defensive battle are going to be really tough for them. I mean, it doesn't feel like this offense is capable of just being the better offense in the AFC North anymore. They're not playing like it. 
Um, and I, I had high hopes for him at the beginning of the year because Rashad Bateman looks so good and J.K. Dobbins is coming back. Duvernay looked really good as a, a deep threat. It's kind of all falling apart, and um, they've got to get it figured out. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and I think we need to we need some answers from John Harbaugh here. I mean, this is three. I mean, your late leads. If you don't collapse in those games, you're six and zero. And I know we just said that before with the the Falcons. You know, we don't like to play the what if game, but these are very winnable football. These are games that you are winning by a significant amount of points with a significantly less amount of time left on the clock. So, yeah, we're gonna have to see something. We're going to have to have some answers, and we're going to have to see Lamar play a complete football game because I feel like we haven't seen him play a complete football game at all. Even last week when he did step up in the fourth quarter and lead that game-winning field goal drive, where was he the first three and a half quarters? Yeah, and what we haven't seen is the Lamar Jackson, or or I don't even want to put it all on him, but we haven't seen the Ravens offense that we saw. Do you remember last year at the beginning of the year, I think the first week they lost to the Raiders in overtime, but they scored like 36 or something. Yeah. Uh, and then they, they ended up coming back and beating the Chiefs the next week in prime time. Lamar had an unbelievable day. I think he like backflipped into the end zone. Yeah, he did. Where's yeah. that? You know, even though they lost that, that game to the Raiders, like where is, where's the 30, 35 point Lamar Jackson? I mean, we, I think it would be a little more digestible if they were losing shootouts like they did against the Dolphins. But these games feel in, incredibly winnable. Um, and the, the fact they haven't won them is probably going to cost them in the end, just like it did last year. Uh, only thing I'll say about the Giants is they continue to be well coached. You know, yeah. were, they the, were they the better team? Were they the more talented team on, on no. Sunday? Probably not. But who cares? I mean, they, they have confidence. Uh, they have a, a, a pretty well-balanced offense with Wondell Robinson back in the mix. They're starting to throw the ball a little bit. To Daniel Jones is starting to look better. Um, and that defense is just unbelievable. I guess we shouldn't give all credit to the Ravens not performing on offense. We should give yeah. a little bit to the Giants defense because they continue to look great, even though, um, you know, they, they're kind of thin on linebackers and they released James Bradbury. So uh, Brian Dable, defensive coordinator, Don Martindale, doing an amazing job. Yeah, I mean, and hats off to Kayvon Thibodeau, too, making a, a signature play in his yeah. uh, career early on as well. So, And he was extremely emotional about it. And you know what? I, I don't want to, you know, because we're on a good roll here. We're on a good pace. I don't want to go too far into this. But I saw a tweet on, on Twitter that was saying, you know, this is unbelievable. Like, this guy's showing this much emotion. Like, he just won the Super Bowl. I just want to say one thing. You know, these players dedicate their entire lives to a game, to, to football. And... You know, it's been a rough go of it for Kayvon Thibodeau so far in his rookie year. What was that? Only his second game he's played? Yeah, second or third, yeah. something like that. You know he what? Right. Against Dallas. Yeah, and he made the play that basically sealed the win for them. You know what? Like that, you got to let the emotions fly. Would you rather see him be, a, you know, just completely stone faced the entire time? You got to let that emotion out. And, and I, I feel like fans need a better appreciation or a better understanding of that, that these players give up so much, they give up their entire lives just to be on that field to make those type of plays. And then when you actually make those type of plays and you contribute to wins, I mean, that's got to be an amazing feeling. So, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, if you want to keep crying every single tackle you make, you go out there and you fucking cry, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And you know who I don't appreciate? I don't appreciate Tom Brady. I don't even think this is Tom Brady. I think this is Jim Grady. I don't know who we're who we're seeing right now, but 
it's not Tom Brady. But at the same time, there's two factors. One, he's 76 years old. And the other factor is this offensive line is probably the worst offensive line through six weeks that he's had in the last 10 years. I mean, they're just – it's it's just not good. We, we're seeing how much they're missing Ryan Jensen. And I really didn't think that Ryan Jensen was going to make that much of, of an impact. I thought it was like, ah, it's just a center. But, I mean, the pressure's coming up the middle, and they don't know how to handle it. Yeah, can you imagine if T.J. Watt was playing – on Sunday, oh I mean, Brady might be in a in a cast. I right think he now. might have been retired if he was playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but you know, you lose by two to the Packers. Okay, I get it. You know, yeah. maybe not so much now because we know how the Packers aren't that great. Uh, but you lose by two to the Steelers, uh, and you let Mitchell Trubisky kind of ice the game with his arm. That's that's very concerning. I don't care if you're playing at, at a place formerly known as Heinz Field or not. That's concerning. Um, yeah, Brady Brady and this offense don't look like they're about to get themselves on track. And I know they're starting to, you know, a three and two start is one thing. Three and three, you're starting to see some pressure this week pop up on the Buccaneers and they're pressing Todd Bowles about it. And they said, well, you know, is do you think Tom Brady is all in? And he says, yes. I um, mean, you know, he's like, do you, they said, do you think Tom Brady's getting special treatment? And do you think other players are kind of, realizing that and he's like oh well you know it kind of comes with the territory he's he's earned it well you know he didn't deny it that brady kind of gets special well we all know that he gets special right but you know but i mean you wonder if if it was true that that guys weren't uh bothered by it that maybe todd bowles would have shot it down a little more forcefully Uh, and todd bowles called out the team too he said some players are still living off the super bowl which you know that's really calling them out because that was a year and a half ago. Yeah, uh, and he said, you know, we we can't have that mentality. And who knows who he's talking about? I don't think it's Brady. It's not Brady. No, but but it's it's some guys, and it's. I thought that was an interesting comment. It's, if it was, if they won the Super Bowl last year, I'd say, okay, well that makes sense. You know, it's been a year and a half. There, there's issues in this locker room. If Todd Bowles publicly says he thinks the guys are still living off of that Super Bowl, yeah, I, I think it's. That's such an unfortunate comment to make, too, because he's absolutely right. And we know that he's right, too. And we know the mentality of some of these players, too. But, like, you just can't go out there and say something like that. I know that I know that you're trying to fire up your team. You're trying to hold people accountable. That is a significant part of coaching. But on a team that seems like they're, you know, a little bit on thin ice here, and there seems like there's some tension and animosity in that locker room, I don't think you should be going out and making comments like that. I think you should just play it, play it off stupid, you know, typical stupid coach that doesn't see what's going on. Oh, yeah, everything, everything's okay, even though obviously we know that, like, you know, every coach plays that like, oh, everything's great, but, you know, things are falling apart. So I don't know what's going on in that locker room. Uh, it, you could see that it's clearly affecting the play on the field. So whatever it is, I just hope that Todd Bowles, I hope his coaching staff, and I hope that the players sort it out. Um, you know, one thing is, though, which is nice to see, is that we're not seeing really any regression from Tom Brady. We're not seeing him be like – we're not going – we're not turning on the TV and going, oh, my God, a 45-year-old man is playing quarterback. You know, we're still like, oh, that's Tom Brady. He still makes some great throws. You know, he still hangs in there. He still makes some plays where I'm like, how the hell does that, that guy escape? I think they just got to figure it out. They're just so out of tune right now. I'm not really that worried, especially because the next three games on their schedule really aren't that bad. So we could easily see them being six and three and being everything all fine and dandy. Um, But 
yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's 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 cause for a little bit of concern. And on the the Pittsburgh side of the ball, I mean, where does this win? What does this win do for you? I mean, <laughs> well, it, it keeps them alive, essentially. Keeps them alive. Know, two and four is a lot closer than than one and five. And in the division where the leader is three and three, at least you can like look at your fans and say, "Hey, look, we're we're contending." I mean, <laughs> one out, yeah. you know, we are we're one win out of first, and we haven't played all these division <laughs> games yet, and we they already beat the Bengals. So, you know, it, there's. It, I think what it what it what it does is is kind of sustain the fan base a little bit and give them some life, but. You know, in the end, I don't think they're a playoff team. Um, yeah, no, the, the offense is too anemic. You got Najee yeah. Harris, who couldn't can't hit a hole for anything, and then you know Kenny Galladay, Kenny Galladay, Kenny Pickett, uh, Kenny Galladay too. Kenny Galladay goes down, you know, in concussion protocol, but he didn't look that spectacular either. I think what did you have? 67 yards through like the first two and a half quarters. Yeah. He had a great opening drive, and then that was really it. Like, was great, it. like a really good opening drive that ended up with his first touchdown pass. But after that, wasn't much. Um, so, you know, it's still going to be a sluggish offense. But I I picked the Buccaneers in this Yeah, this was, this was the biggest upset in terms of percentages yeah. on ESPN. The Pittsburgh Steelers were picked by 4% of people, which I'm presuming were just all Steelers fans. <laughs> but yeah. I, I did I did not pick them either. Uh moving on, the next game, you know, this was probably the most pedestrian game. The next two were really the most like pedestrian games of the week. Uh I will say one thing, the Rams won by two touchdowns, but it was not really that convincing. This is not a win where I could go, "Hey, the Rams are back." This is a I mean, Matthew Stafford did not look great. He threw a terrible pick six. As well, he just cannot stop throwing interceptions. It's like quite alarming. We we always knew that Matthew Stafford came with that Brett Favre gunslinger mentality, but not a drunk gunsl- gunslinger. I mean, he's throwing the ball to the opposing team way too much here. <laughs> well, it's pretty funny because he did that the last six or so weeks of the regular season last year. Like, you know, eleven interceptions or something in seven weeks, uh, and then in the playoffs he stopped. I mean, he, he had a couple, but you know, he he turned back into the Matthew Stafford of the of the early regular season. Uh, and now he's back to that guy. We saw at the end of the regular season last year, I guess it's a good thing that he kind of turned that off for the playoffs and got a ring. Uh, but it, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like they come out of a 24, 10 win in panic mode still, <laughs> even though they're, they're tired for the division lead. A uh, part of the reason too, they lost Joe Noteboom, who's their left yeah. tackle replacement for Andrew Whitworth. Uh, but the offensive line is already an issue. And, and Sean McVay had to answer questions about whether he was confident in Noteboom. And he said, yes. Well, now he doesn't have him. And so they've got to search for another left tackle. And even if they move somebody around, then they have to search for a right tackle. You know, they, they lost a, a key piece here. Um, and it, it feels like, you know, we talked a little bit the other weeks about, oh, they, they need to go out and get a receiver and get an offensive lineman. Well, trade deadlines in two weeks – you know, Odell Beckham is kind of saying some bad things about the Rams out there. Mm-hmm. And he kind oh, of feels disrespected. So it feels like they don't really have time or options to to add to this team, and they might be stuck with what they have, and what they have isn't good enough. Yeah, I, I do think that they have enough at – well, I mean, they have enough assets, but they have enough – I could see someone like Van Jefferson or Tutu Atwell being traded in, like, a package to try and get a semi-decent offensive lineman just to kind of, like – keep the fan base and keep Matthew Stafford out of Sean McVay's ear. And I think it's a hundred percent necessary too. It's not them bitching. It's him desperately needing some offensive line help. So 
I could see something like that happening. Really, that's the only move that I think that you could really ask the Rams to make because we knew that this was coming. This is the fall of the LA Rams because, you know, years and years of giving out big contracts to, to certain players and filling up your roster with late round picks and not having a first or second round pick in the, in the last three years. And then in the next like two years too, you know, it's going to come back and bite you in the butt at some point, you know? So I think we're really starting to see it. I think maybe this year they possibly sneak into the playoffs. And I think that might be, that's it. They kind of shot their load for the most part because they can't stop a nosebleed in terms of, you know, pressure. And they don't look that great, even even when he's not pressured. He doesn't look that great, Matthew Stafford. So uh, I don't really know what to believe. From the Panthers' side of the ball, I mean, what did he expect? P.J. Walker was starting. I I mean, it's the just only, so – The only notable thing was the Robbie Anderson meltdown. Yeah. He's no longer on the team. Um, through trade, though, so, you know, better than Antonio Brown being released after the end of the game, Robbie Anderson got a trade the next day. Uh, but but Robbie Anderson seems to think he's like, you know, J- Justin Jefferson or Tyreek Hill he's or Stephon so <laughs> He carries himself like he's the best receiver in the NFL when he's a probably a middle of the pack number two or a low end. Dude, he's not even in the top fifty in receiving yards. Yeah, you realize that? Yeah, he had, like, well, he had a, he had a great week one, mostly off of one catch, and that's really been it. Yeah, just like last, just like last year. Yeah, he carries himself like he's an elite receiver and has you know he's kind of a pariah, but. He's off that team. Maybe it'll be addition by subtraction. Yeah, I mean, like I you said, say. nothing else. Like you said, at least there. at least it wasn't an Antonio Brown situation. So it's it's good that we won't have another hot tub Abu Dhabi situation <laughs> in a couple of years. So that's good. But moving on, speaking of Robbie Anderson, who yeah. just got traded to the Arizona Cardinals, I mean, there must have been some kind of Call of Duty tournament or something this weekend because Kyler Murray played like Kaka against the Seattle Seahawks and. I'm going to sound like a broken record, Dan, but the Seattle Seahawks kind of pissed me off because they make me believe that they are a good football team. Yeah, this is actually like the first time I think I've picked them. Um, I, I did pick them. I, I did. I them? Have I picked them another week? I did not pick them against the Falcons. I didn't pick them against the Broncos or the Saints. So I guess it's the first time. So you could call me a little bit of a believer. But I think really what it was was a disbelief in the Cardinals, um, and that was what was correct. I don't think the Seahawks won this game. I think the Panthers. I think the Cardinals lost it. Uh, Kyler Murray didn't play well at all. They they kind of got caught in a weird situation where Marquise Brown gets hurt and they still don't have DeAndre Hopkins back. I think the offense will be better going forward with DeAndre Hopkins back. Um, they got a little lucky too because they traded for Robbie Anderson with reports out that Marquise Brown was going to miss. The rest Six of the year. And then, yeah. and then they found out it might only be about five weeks. So, you know, if you can stay afloat and you actually have Marquise Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, Robbie Anderson, Rondell Moore all back at the end of the year, maybe you have a chance um, to, to make some noise. And plus the NFC West, everybody's three and three ahead of them. So it's not over. Um, but I, I do feel like this team is closer to fire Cliff Kingsbury than playoff contention. Oh, thank it, God. To score nine points. After the Saints scored 39 against Seattle, I can't justify that. Yeah, I, you know, we knew that this was coming. We've called this from the beginning. This was, I mean, we said this before the season even started. And like the second episode that we ever did was, you know, was Kyler Murray 
worth the extension. Was Cl- We already knew that Cliff Kingsbury wasn't worth the extension. Now you're kind of stuck. I mean, I mean, a coach is way more easy to get rid of than a quarterback that's making right. $48 million, definitely. You know, you might get laughed out of the building for it, for giving him an extension and then firing him. Be that as it may, it doesn't really matter at that point. You know, but I mean, Kyler, what do you do with what do you do? I guess you just try and surround him with the most talent that you possibly can. I mean, adding Robbie Anderson, don't get me wrong. I think Robbie Anderson is hot crap. I, I don't think he's good. I don't think he's good at all, but he's still it's, as a wide receiver three his pretty good value there. Even a wide receiver four if Rondell Moore is is above him on the depth chart. Like you can't really argue with that depth. So once everyone gets on the field and is healthy again, if Marquise Brown does get back healthy this year and we see all of them on the field at the same time, not to mention Trey McBride, not to mention Zach Ertz as well, you know, and if you can't perform with that offense, then the blame has to kind of be shifted towards Kyler Murray, you know? Yeah. I, I think that, you know, what we could see is what the Vikings did. And if it doesn't work this year, which it doesn't look like it's going to, you, you change regimes. Um, which probably means firing Cliff Kingsbury. It may mean firing Steve Kime, the GM, who they are intensely loyal to for no reason. Um, <laughs> but, you you know, at that point, just like the Vikings did with Kirk, you stick with Kyler for another year and say, well, look, the, the coaching might have been the problem, and we're going to get you a better coach and some more talent, and we're going to try to win, with, win that way because we handed you an oversized contract. Um, you know, I think that was the right move for the Vikings. Um, and I think the Cardinals really have no choice. But, you know, what happens if if you, they don't play well in 2023? Then you have to start yeah. considering a quarterback change. But I think for now, you know, unless Kyler says he wants out, this is what they're stuck with. But uh, if, if you, you know, if the season doesn't go the way they want, I think Cliff is probably gone. There's a reason why he, I think he, he's the betting favorite to be the next coach fired. I don't think they do it midseason. But, you know, if they finish 7-10 or something, I, I can't imagine any way you can explain to your fans that you're keeping your head coach. Yeah, I, I, I well, whatever fans are left over there. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do agree with you on that one. And the, uh, the next game, I inexplicably closed my phone. So could you lead me in what the next game on the slate was? Yeah, that would be the, uh, the Bills and Chiefs. Oh, okay, we, we could just move on to the next one after that now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. The Bills and the Chiefs, um, you know, this was probably one of, if not the most exciting 24 to 20 games yeah. that I've seen. It, And I mean, we, we, if it wasn't apparent, it is now. This is probably the next great rivalry in football. I mean, every time that these two, not even these two quarterbacks, just these two teams get together, there's fireworks all the time. I mean, we, it, it. It's great. And I really think the rivalry kind of started not in the playoffs last year, but when the Bills embarrassed the Chiefs at home last year on uh, what was that Sunday night football, I believe yeah. it was last year. Yeah, was I really fight. think that's I really think that's when it started. And you know, the Chiefs got the better of the Bills in the playoffs. The Bills sort of kind of avenged that playoff that playoff loss this Sunday. Um another thing too, I, I've talked about this before on other shows and other entities, whatever it may be, but the, the bills just continue to do good things against Kansas city in terms of defense. Now I I don't know what the numbers are. I don't have them in front of me, but I know that last year when the bills dominated the chiefs at home, they blitzed Patrick Mahomes zero times. 
Now, for those of you at home that don't know what a blitz is, it's basically just more than four rushers for the defense. That's basically all blitz is for the most part. Um, I don't know if they did that this week, but the the front four of the Bills was able to get significant pressure on Patrick Mahomes throughout the entire game. And uh, I really think that that's a, the addition of Von Miller is cl- is clearly putting that defense way over the edge, what, what it already was. And, you know, Kair Elam getting his first interception, a crucial play as well in the end zone, an inexplicable ball thrown by Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion there. That was that was Patrick Mahomes trying to play hero ball there. And then the interception at the end of the game, I mean, he was under pressure, but I think the Bills just overall did a great job. Josh Allen is an absolute animal. That hurdle was insane. His beautiful touchdown pass to Stefan Diggs was, I mean, I, he couldn't have walked over and placed the ball in his hands any better. Yeah, I think Josh Allen's the MVP favorite officially. I, I do. I think that the conversation was between him and Mahomes before that game, and clearly Josh Allen comes out on top of that. Um, so for you know, until further notice, he's he's the MVP front runner. Um, the Chief, Chiefs' offensive line is is kind of struggling a little bit, and that, that's a yeah. problem for Mahomes. Uh, they had a tough time with Max Crosby, which you know a lot of teams do. Um, and then they came out and had a problem with with Von Miller, who, yeah, like you mentioned, the Bills kind of went out and got the perfect guy that they needed to kind of close the gap in this rivalry, if if you can call it a gap at all. Um, you know, the the real the real moment I think that this rivalry will take off is when the Bills finally beat him in the playoffs. They lost the AFC Championship game two years ago. They lost the divisional round last year. They've still got to do it in the playoffs. But this game goes a long way toward that playoff game being oh, yeah. Buffalo if they face each other. You know, if they were in Buffalo last year, they probably would have ended up winning. Even though mm-hmm. those teams are are so good that home field advantage almost isn't a big deal. Um, it was so close that it feels like if they were in Buffalo, they would have pulled it out. So for that reason, this is huge for the Bills. Uh, for confidence-building reasons, it's huge for the Bills. Uh, and yes, I mean, you have to come out of this thinking the Bills are the best team in the AFC, probably the best team in the NFL, which I thought even before this game. Yeah, me too. Um, and yeah, Patrick Mahomes, you know, one mistake on the on the interception, Kyir Elam. Other than that, even with the two interceptions on the stat line, you know, still had a, a solid day. You, maybe you expect a little more fireworks out of him in that offense, but um I think the Bills are, are the number one team in this league right now, and they've done nothing nothing to change that through six weeks. That loss to the Dolphins was kind of more of a, a fluke than anything, even though the Dolphins are, are a good team when, when fully healthy. You know, Super Bowl contender, Super Bowl favorites until further notice. Yeah, the Bills are an extra two seconds away from being 6-0 and at this point, and uh, I have to agree with you on every aspect. I mean, this team is just – has performed like we thought that they would. They are a Super Bowl contender. They should be the favorites to win the Super Bowl. I I definitely agree with you on that. And I, I've said it from the beginning that I thought the Bills were the best team in the league, and, and they definitely have showed it. But then the Sunday night game, which was really actually one of the driving forces that we had for pushing this episode back a day, was we really – I mean, that, epi- that episode, that game, that matchup really meant a lot in terms of, I mean, two of the biggest fan bases in football as well, between the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I actually did pick the Dallas Cowboys to win this. Why? I don't know. Um, Especially with Cooper Rush playing in Philadelphia. But I think the same thing that we said earlier in this episode about the Philadelphia uh, Phillies, 
applies with the with the Eagles. I mean, this this fan base is just so rapid, so rabid that they they really do change the course of the game. And I mean, the first half was just not pretty for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm pretty sure they had like 26 total yards of offense. Cooper Rush looked like he was playing, you know, he was back playing high school football. I mean, it was just it was not good. It was overwhelmed. And there's really one takeaway. They did a nice job making it more of a game in the second half. They kind of took a little bit more control. They 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 calmed down, but it was just too far gone at that point. But from the Dallas Cowboys side, this loss actually makes things a lot more clear for them. And it is clear that when Dak Prescott comes back fully healthy, hopefully this week, that he is the undoubted starter. I mean, you had to you had to play the well, if Cooper Rush beats the Philadelphia Eagles, then there has to be a conversation of him being the hot hand. You have to ride him out. Now there's I think no there's there's no, no conversation now. No conversation. No. Because no, they, I think I think that if Dak plays in that game, I think they ha- I know that they have a better shot at winning. I think they pull it off. Well, they would have had more than 26 yards at yeah. that point, you know. Uh, even if you they had a couple field goals and made it really close toward the end, you know who knows if how the game would have ended up. The Eagles have to play better in the second half, though. I mean, they're I'm not gonna. That's really the only criticism I have because you know the Eagles have been leading by. I think I saw a stat that they led by two touchdowns uh, in all six of their wins so far. So it's not like yeah. they're just barely getting by here. Uh, but they do need to kind of put it together consistently over two halves. You know, against the Cardinals, they really didn't play that well in the second half. They kind of were lucky to escape that one. Um, but this one, this one, it felt like they, when you go up 20 nothing or 20 to three, I guess it was at halftime, um, you have to stomp on that team. You've got to put an end to it. You can't let a team that goes down 20 to three get back into that game. So, you know, I give a little credit to the Cowboys for adjusting uh, at halftime. They definitely came out looking better with, with a better game plan, especially on the offensive end and on the defensive end. Um, but that's the only criticism of the Eagles, you know, play better in the second half, make adjustments, keep up what you did in the first half. Don't take your foot off the gas. Cause if they play, if they play like they do in the first half every week, this is a team that can go 15 to two, 14 and three, um, and be the easily the number one seed in the NFC. Yeah. Which is insane to say, but yeah, well, from the beginning of the season, that would have been insane to say, but I mean, their next three games, I think it's, I, I don't know the order, but it's like Steelers, commanders and Texans. Wow, that's, I, I know uh, that order is incorrect, but that, that's that's easily uh, could easily be nine and zero. Right, but you know, from the Philadelphia Eagles side of the ball, I mean, we we got a pretty much dominant victory over a division rival, a good division rival, with pretty much no offense to really show for. I mean, Hertz had 155 yards, two touchdowns. Like you said, they kind of just took their foot off the gas and just rode out the whole entire second half. So. If maybe if Dallas, maybe if it was 20 to 10 at halftime instead of 20 to three, maybe we would have seen a little bit more firepower. But that's scary considering that they didn't really play that much on the offensive side and they still beat the Dallas Cowboys. And I mean, like you said, this is a team that could very well go 14 and three, 15 and two. And the schedule is playing right into their hands. They could freaking clinch a playoff berth by like week 11. Well, it's going to be fun because these two teams play on Christmas Eve Ooh. Uh, in Dallas. And so, you know, you, you never know because people might have said, oh, this is going to be a fun game in, uh, you know, in August. And then it turns out Cooper Rush is starting. Yeah. But if it's Jalen Hurts, if it's Dak Prescott, 
that's going to be an awesome game. Um, yeah. Around I'm the definitely going to circle, circle that on my calendar and, for sure. You know, it would probably help the Eagles a lot if they made it not mean that much to them. Um, you know, meaning yeah. they clinched a playoff spot and they kind of looked like they were in control of the division. But you have a feeling that for the Cowboys, it's going to mean something no matter what. Well, even if they're fully out of the division, they're, they're going to be somewhere in that playoff mix on Christmas Eve when they play that game. So, you know, you say this would have been a different game with Dak. They might have that, ch- that chance. About two yeah. months. And you got to figure at home, you know, with uh, to avenge the loss earlier in the year. And, and I said, my, my friend, one of my best friends at work is a Cowboys fan, diehard Cowboys fan. And I said to him, before the game was even played, I said, well, it's, it's a can't-lose situation for, for the, the Dallas Cowboys because you could go in there, you could beat the Philadelphia Eagles and go, well, we're the best team in the NFC now. Or you could lose and you can go, well, how could you, how could you, you know, exactly. say that we're not good? We didn't have Dak Prescott. So, you, you know, if you think about it, like, yeah, now they have a chance, hopefully – Hopefully it's a closer – hopefully it means a lot because as a fan, as just a football fan, that's kind of poetic. You know, I'm sitting there drinking hot chocolate. The snow is coming down. I'm watching, you know, the two teams that I pretty much despise uh, <laughs> play meaningful football. So, I mean, that would be ideal, but I think that they will have a crack at it with Dak Prescott hopefully on Christmas Eve. But that's a game I'm going to circle on my calendar for sure because that is – Interesting. Hopefully the Jets will clinch a playoff berth by then, so I won't oh, have yeah, to worry about them. They might as well just give them the Lombardi trophy at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, hey, four wins already at this point when they had four wins last year. I mean, listen, if they win this week and next week, they have six wins, and that would combine from the last two years. So, progress. But uh, I don't want to sound too much like a like a Jet fan, even though everyone knows that no, I'm. No, you never you never want to sound too much like a Jet fan. No, never in any in any way, shape, or form. But I mean, and oh, and um, just to update, I know we didn't talk about it, uh, but I did see the the update that Nestor Cortez will be starting Game Five for the Yankees. So I, I guess, guess that Jamison Tyone is pitching Game One against Houston if they go through. So that's horrible. Um, but <laughs> yeah, well, they, they're putting Shane Bieber on the mound, so as soon as that came out, the Yankees switched over to, over to Nestor. And you, yeah, hard, well, you, hard know to blame them. you worry, you worry about game one after you win, you have right. to win first, right. Yeah, if they so. wanted to not worry about it, they could have closed him out in four, couldn't do it. So, you, you know, got to deal with what you're, you know, the hand you're played, yeah, absolutely. And the game between the Denver Broncos and the Chargers right now, still 16 16, right. It is sixteen sixteen. It might be sixteen sixteen for another hour. No, they might tie. You know these two a, teams. What a field goal fest! What a just a disappointment on both ends. But well, before that we, uh, that before is the end. I want to give a shout out to the Tennessee Volunteers and their fans. Yes. Just a quick shout out because I think that the Tennessee Volunteers could be the twenty nineteen LSU Tigers. They're not as talented. At least I don't think they're as talented in terms of NFL talent. No, you're right. Very well coached. They have an elite quarterback, and they just beat Alabama. All of a sudden, they're in a playoff spot. You know, the playoff rankings haven't come out yet, but they're a top four team. That could be a gigantic turning point in college football. Um, That could last the rest of the season, especially because now if Alabama loses, uh, if they lose to anybody else or if they lose in the SEC championship to, let's say, Georgia or Tennessee again, 
they're out. They're probably not making it. Nice. See, that I I would love that. You'd like to hear that. So yeah, every every game that Alabama plays th- now, this is the scenario they had last year too. They lost the game to Texas A and M, and all of a sudden, oh, if they lose to Georgia, which they were expected to in the a- in the SEC title game, they're not going to be a playoff team. And sure enough, they beat them. So they could do it again. But all of a sudden, yeah. Tennessee is looking like a national contender. I, I never thought I'd say that. Yeah, and and one thing from my perspective, I'm glad that you brought it up, is uh, I love the stock of both of these quarterbacks because, you know me, I, I like to do my, my draft research or something like that. Uh, Hendon Hooker just continues to go up and up on my board. Now, do I think that he's, you know, first-round talent? No, but he's played exceptionally well so far this year. And Bryce Young, 455 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, I know it's a loss, but he obviously was not the reason why the Alabama Crimson Tide lost. I mean, he he's looking every bit like the number one overall pick, especially if the Carolina Panthers or the Houston Texans have the number one overall pick. You got to think that with the quarterbacks that are coming out, it's got to be either him or C.J. Stroud. And it definitely, after this week, it definitely sways to me more towards Bryce Young than C.J. Stroud. He, he just carries himself like an NFL quarterback. I mean, like, even when they're, when he's not playing, you could see him on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, talking to teammates like he's an NFL quarterback. He also knows how to extend plays uh, yes. without making a mistake like an NFL quarterback. You know, he, he's not he's not running around and then throwing it into traffic just to get rid of the ball. Um, he, he's just such a smart player, and that kind of goes a long way. To NFL success, especially quick NFL success. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. He might have swayed himself toward the number one pick. Even yeah, and, and just just a quick side note before that, I wasn't necessarily – I mean, I was high on, on Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud before this season. Uh, more so Young than Stroud because, you know, you come from more of a pro-style offense than, you know, Ohio State where you're constantly in the gun, constantly in, you know um, – what is the uh, the pistol? There you go. I was couldn't couldn't think of the the formation there. You're constantly you're not under center, but Stroud and Young have been fantastic this year. And I I, I mean Young, like you said, looks every bit like an NFL quarterback. Um, from listening to accounts of coaches, teammates, he's a tremendous leader. And, and to me, it just seems like all around he's he's the better prospect for number one overall. So, you know, whoever that team may be, I think that they're going to get a, a true franchise quarterback out of him. But yeah, hats off to Tennessee as well. They're they're finally bringing some exciting football back over there. It's it's. I mean, I haven't seen Tennessee this good in a long time. I lifetime, can't even think probably. I mean, yeah, in in a long time, maybe since what Peyton Manning? Yeah, <laughs> no, ninety eight, ninety nine. I wasn't here for it. No, yeah. So it's it's definitely exciting, but I'm glad I did forget about that. I'm glad that you did mention that because we we did want to touch on that for uh, for a quick second. But uh, Dan, I I think that we are coming to the commencement of the close of episode 15. Now that is, uh, I I I like round numbers. I think 15 is a nice round number. So 15 weeks. You haven't gotten tired of me yet. I really really appreciate. I would love if you had me on again next week. That I think that would be actually. I just answered my own question. I cannot be here next week. So if you guys are still listening up until this point, uh, I will not be here for episode 16. I'm going to a uh, family friend's wedding in Texas. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, you know, I've never been to Austin before. So hopefully there's a lot of good stuff to do around there. And uh, if you're from Austin and you're listening to this, feel free to reach out and let me know if you have any uh, 
tips and tricks and places to go because I'm uh, I have nothing planned and I'm getting quite worried. So <laughs> thank you for that and uh, thank you for listening, Daniel. Please take it away. Harley Pete, a happy 26th birthday to you. Did oh. I get that right? 20, yeah. like 26 is correct, right? I yeah, that I'm right. old. Thank you. Okay, yes. 26 <laughs> is correct. A happy birthday to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody who listened in for episode 15. I, I'm with I'm with I'm with Pete here. I like these round numbers. So 15 is cool. We'll figure out what's going on with episode 16. But uh, this was in a pretty insane weekend of sports between the, the MLB upsets, uh, the Tennessee win over Alabama. You know, the usual suspects in the NFL with all these upsets. Um, glad we were able to break it down for you guys. And thank you all for listening.